You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, 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 what's happening, folks? I hope everything is good and groovy and cool and awesome wherever you may be listening to this. Uh, Before we get right into the show, I just wanted to give a big thank you. A huge, huge thank you to all of you. Uh, It was my birthday this weekend, and so many of you emailed, messaged, Facebooked, whatever, whatever method was your preferred method of communication. I got a ton of birthday wishes, so thank you guys for that. That felt that felt really nice. Uh, you guys are all way way too kind to me, honestly. Uh, that was awesome. So thank you to everybody. That was great. I had a fun birthday with the fam. I was a little more unplugged from the internet than normal. Got to hang out with my with my family on Saturday. Did some some theme park stuff, and then Sunday went with a, a bunch of friends to watch the Top Fuel Drag Racers up in up in Kent, Washington, which was insane. And this is not what this channel's about, so I won't I won't talk about it too much. But uh, I don't know when you're talking about an eleven thousand horsepower race car that can do less than a less than a quarter mile track, a thousand foot track, and they can get down it in. I think the fastest time I seen that day that I can remember was three point nine two three point nine two seconds to get a thousand feet from a dead stop, and by the time they cross. <laughs> By the time they cross the finish line, they're doing like 330 miles an hour. It is insane. It makes a jet engine look pathetic. So if you've never done that, wear earplugs and go to one of those events. It's 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 mind-blowing how much power they have. It was really fun. But anyway, that's not what we're here about. We're here to get into the podcast about guitar stuff. And guitar stuff is what we shall get into And if you like buying guitar stuff, a great way to support this show and keep everything on the rails is by going to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for all of your Reverb.com purchasing needs. Anything you do through that link, whether it's buying, selling, whatever, even just signing up. If you've never heard of Reverb somehow, some way, if you've never heard of Reverb.com before, it's basically where you go to buy and sell gear with people all over the world, music shops, individuals like yourself, like who knows? It's it's a great marketplace, and they've got a a great. They produce a ton of content. They're amazing. If you haven't heard of Reverb, just do a, do a quick Google, and then if you decide to purchase, go to ToneMob.com/reverb, and you can pick up anything you might need through that link, and it helps keep the show going. And it's you know you're already collecting gear, so why not, right? Just use. ToneMob.com slash Reverb. ToneMob.com slash Reverb for all your Reverb purchases going forward. All right, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate that. And secondly, I owe you all an apology because last week was supposed to be the week that I sent out the trivia email on the, to all the newsletter subscribers and somebody was going to win something cool and it was going to be this great, fun thing. And I did not have time to send that email. So as, I don't know, I know a, a, a way to plead and beg for forgiveness. I'm going to drop a little tasty nugget in your ear right now. I'm sending that email tomorrow. So if you're listening to this podcast the day it drops, I'm sending the email on August 6th, and I'll send it afternoon Pacific time at some point. So that's that's usually secret. I usually keep that under wraps, but for you know to make it up to you. I'm going to send that email out. That's going to be the trivia question. And I I have something pretty cool up my sleeve. Actually, I'm wearing tank top, so I don't have any sleeves right now. But I have something pretty cool to give away on this one. I think a lot of you will enjoy it. So if you go to ToneMob.com, hit the tab that says Join the Mob, that's how you get in on the trivia questions and the newsletter. The newsletter, I'll be sending you an email about once a week. And I'm not sharing this with anybody. Nobody's getting this for anything other than me to send you Tone Mob-related stuff and fresh episode announcements and just anything that pertains to the, the Tone Mob community. That's that's what that newsletter is for. And in addition, we do things like the trivia, the monthly trivia question for free gear. All right, that's enough of the house cleaning for today. Let's get into this episode with Zach Broyles of Mythos Pedals. Kaboom! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Zach Broyles from Mythos Pedals. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Oh, you know, now that we've 
fought through a few gremlins and we're here comfortably enjoying each other's company. Well, I'm enjoying your company. I don't know about the other <laughs> way around. That's to be determined. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. This this is early in this podcast. This could go all kinds of awry. We have no That's control right. over it. <laughs> so we met uh, down in Nashville, of which we've somehow crossed paths, but not directly many times. And this was the first right. time we've actually got to sit down and have a little chit chat, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Did we not? Did we meet at Anaheim or was Nashville the first time we met face to face? I don't remember if it's the first time. Now, now for some people who've never been to NAM or a crazy convention like that, you'd be like, <laughs> how can you forget whether you've met someone or not? Well, let uh, me tell you, by the time you've met 400 billion people, they start to blend together no matter how awesome they are. That's right. <laughs> it's exhausting. Oh, boy. But as all that to say is I feel like we met in Anaheim very briefly. Yeah. But we Nashville was actual actually the first time we were like, "Hey, how's it going? Here's my right. hand." Yeah, Shake yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> but uh so you've been you've been in Nashville for a while though, right? Uh yeah, well I lived in I mean, I've lived in Tennessee my whole life. So I grew up only like an hour and a half from Nashville. So I don't feel like where, like most people from Nashville aren't from Nashville. It's like, you know, no one's from New York, you know, New York City. Right. It's like everyone's from somewhere else. Um, <clears throat> but I've lived in Nashville since 2014. Uh, but I, it, it still never felt like a foreign place to me, you know, like a lot of people. So you born and raised in Tennessee. That's probably a good segue into your musical backstory. How did you get started with guitar and how did it lead you into making pedals for Joey freaking Landreth? How did that Sure. <laughs> well, you know, I always uh, like wanted to play guitar when I was a little kid and just never, uh, no one in my family played music. When my sister took piano lessons and we were in band, like in middle school and stuff, my sister and I, but when I was 15, I said, I want a guitar. And so my dad, took me to like the local mom and pop shop and we got my first guitar. And so that started me on the journey and like to back up a little bit, my whole life I've always been a tinkerer too. So like when I was a kid, I would like take apart my toys and you know, like uh, my father gave me a soldering iron at a very young age and I would like rewire RC cars and do all sorts of stuff. So when I started playing guitar, I started tinkering with pickups and that kind of thing. And that led me into modding pedals, which was um, spurred on by Brian Wampler and Robert Keeley. Cause those guys were like the Kings of that way back when. And so that kind of led me to pedals that, that started the whole journey because that was about 2006, 2007 or, or maybe a little before, but I feel like it was around that time. And I bought Brian Wampler's mod book and that like, got me interested in pedals. And from, from there I started making my own and eventually started mythos, which was very much a hobby in the beginning. And about how long ago was, was mythos started? Well, uh, the first pedal I ever made that, that had the Zeus face on it and said mythos on it was in 2010 it was, it was in October. It was like soon after my birthday. So, um, the very first Mjolnir was October of 2010. So we're approaching 10 years of, of mythos being like in the ether, so to speak. That's crazy. See, I, I had it viewed through a little different lens. I thought it was a little more recent development than that. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't really start taking it seriously until a few years ago. Like when I started building it, it was just for my own edification. And, and if I made like, if I, if I was going to make one thing, I thought, well, I might as well make two or three and then try to sell some to my friends or, you know, whatever. And so that's kind of where that started, but it didn't become like an actual thing until probably 2016 is when it like started to become like more than just something I did in my spare time, but like an actual side hustle that evolved into something much more than that. Was that always a goal when you started or was it one of those classic pedal builder stories of an accidental business. Well, you know, I'd always wanted to do something guitar related because I'd been in bands and I'd uh, growing up and then, you know, in college and after college I'd played music, but it never was never in anything that was going to be commercially viable and, and uh, 
pay for any normal life, you know? So you mean like all of us? Okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I I wanted to do something in in the guitar field because I love guitar and the pedal thing was something I'd always kind of hoped for, but never really expected it to kind of lead me to where I am right now, which is, which is pretty phenomenal. Everything that's happened over the past couple of years. So you say Mjolnir was the first pedal you made or was that just the yeah. first myth- mythos pedal? Well, that was the first mythos pedal. The first pedal I ever made is I had an old Dunlop, one of the good Dunlop fuzz face reissues um, that had like the actual NKT transistors and stuff like the ones you would want if you were going to get one of those. And it died, basically turned into a radio. <laughs> Uh, you turn it on and it just picked up radio and you're like, okay. So I thought, well, this is, I knew how to mod pedals and it only has, you know, a handful of parts. I thought I can make this. So I I made a new one and put it in that. And that was probably 2007 or eight. And that was the first pedal ever made. And then from there I, I made a couple other fuzz faces and boosts and stuff. And then slowly I wanted to make like clones of things and, uh, put my own spin on it. And that's how you know, the mythos, the first couple of mythos pedals started because the first three was the Mjolnir, the Herculean, which was an 808, and then the Daedalus, which was a um, bluesbreaker style pedal. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So why, why did you settle in on the, the whole Greek mythological thing? What, what, what drove that? Is that an interest of yours? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a nerd. Uh, <laughs> and so maybe somewhere in my mind, shocking, <laughs> right. <I know. laughs> maybe somewhere like after playing God of war one too many times, I, uh, like <laughs> had those names like rattling around in my head, but, um, I grew up in a little town called Sparta. So, Oh, I won't mess with yeah. you then. Well, no, it's not nearly <laughs> as cool. There are no pits and, uh, Oh, uh, while sure. I do have washboard abs under my shirt, uh, no one else does. Oh, and, I, see, uh, <laughs> I see. I see. I see. Gotcha. Which is totally not true. If anyone ever meets me and gives me a hug, they'll be like, this guy isn't ripped at all. He's soft. He's so soft. Um, but uh, Sparta just kind of like inspired me in a way. And so at first I was going to call it mythological pedals um, and still have the Zeus face. But I had a buddy who was a... Uh, going to school for history is going to get a history degree. And he said, you should call it mythos because that's Greek for myth. So that's kind of where that whole thing came from. And it, and it, it's helped me in a lot of ways, having something a little more unique and out there, but at the same time, not many people can pronounce Mjolnir and, you know, uh, like other petals, I want to name them like weird Greek and other like mythological things that are just not pronounceable. And it's, you know, I have to find a balance for people to be able to pronounce the pedals I make, which is, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I remember when I couldn't pronounce Mjolnir. That was yeah, uh, yeah. B- back in the nineties when I was reading Thor comics and I was like, Mjolnir. Right. right. I don't know, but it's a cool hammer that Thor hits people with. It's gotta be. Uh, that's good, right. right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. That's fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so, that's where it all came from. So, okay. That's interesting. I mean, it's, it's weird because some people are very intentional about their, their branding decisions and like the way they want to go. And some people are like, well, that's the name that my daughter said in her sleep one day. And so that's what right. I went with, you know? So it's always interesting to hear people's take on it. Yeah. And I had a bunch of other like ideas and really before I started mythos, I actually, I still own guitarpedalmods.com. Hey, that's not uh, bad. Not bad. Yeah. It's a, that's a pretty good URL. I I'm proud of that one. Um, but I, uh, I did mods and they were always just like Zach Broyles mods. And, uh, I wanted to do something a little more interesting because there are so many people already, even at that point, in time, like using their names or their initials as their pedal brand. And while that's all well and good, you know, if everyone else is doing it, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know, in that, in that way. Yeah. It's more fun. It's more fun to just take things and make them your own. I feel like it's uh, more, more rewarding in some, some way, even though it doesn't make any sense oftentimes. Right. And, And it's, it's a good way to like stay more like, in the conversation, because I feel like if you're just like another initial brand or whatever, and not to disparage anyone that does that, you everyone has to do their own thing, but you have to create a brand identity 
And like, I, I feel kind of lucky that it all kind of worked out and I happened upon this, this name and, and the Zeus face thing, which a lot of people would say, is that Jesus? And I'm like, no, it's not Jesus. <laughs> um, I got that a lot, especially in the beginning, but now I think that's pretty much gone away. <laughs> that's It's so weird. And you talked about being a nerd earlier and I, mm-hmm. I, I was like, well, yeah, we all are. I mean, I never, I always knew what that was. <laughs> I see, I see right. like, I'm like, oh, look, it's Zeus. And I, right. I don't know if that says more about me or the fact that, or Zeus. I'm not sure which one that talks, that says more about, but it says something, yeah. I guess. It's definitely confused a lot of people to be like, who, who's this old person on your pedal? I'm like, well, you know, that's okay. <laughs> Here's a, there's a movie in the 90s called Hercules, and that's what I based the whole line off of. That's what it that's Yeah, what that's it. it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still working on that Bobcat Goldthwait, like, uh, <laughs> uh, reverb <laughs> pedalers. So how did you get hooked up with, with Joey? I think that's a lot, where a lot of people know you from, is doing signature pedals with Joey Landreth. How did, how did that yeah. come to be? Well, um, it's funny. I was uh, just browsing Facebook one day. And at the time, I think Joey might've been playing Morgan amps and he was doing like a clinic or something, uh, or just some sort of show at a guitar store in Canada. And that happened to be a Morgan dealer. And so the, the dealer made a video of a song that was featuring the brothers Landreth playing these amps. And then Morgan amps shared it on Facebook and somehow it wound up in my feed and that's how I heard about them. I just like saw this random video where someone was like, hear this great amp by this band. And I was like, okay. And fell in love with the music. And then I was at Nashville uh, or I, I came to Nashville to, to see them play with the first time they ever came uh, to Nashville as a band, as the brothers Landreth. Wow. And yeah, it was just, it was real random. I found them. I, I saw that they were coming in like a few weeks and I was like, I'm going to go I'm gonna meet these guys. I'm really excited and met Joey and immediately we sat down. We were at the basement in Nashville, which is like a classic small venue here in town. And we were just sitting down talking and the moment where we were like, did we just become best friends? Was he had, (laughs) yeah, it's really, it's weird. He had a deluxe Fender from the mid sixties, but no reverb, just, just a deluxe amp. Um, and it didn't have a faceplate, So it just looked like some weird clone or something. And I, I saw it and I was like, Oh, is that a, like a 65, 66 Fender deluxe, no reverb. And he was like, yeah, how do you know that? And I said, Oh, I counted the knobs. <laughs> Whoa. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so from that moment forward, we were like, okay, we get each other. But I think we're both kindred spirits for gear. And, uh, and, at the end of that show, I was like, Joey, I, I make these pedals. I'd love to like make you one. And he said, yeah, sure. Here's my address. And so I asked him what color he wanted. And he said he wanted it like a, like a, a cream sickle. So orange with cream knobs, white knobs. And so I bought all the, the enclosure and put the, the face on it and sent it to him. And then a little while after that, he was on that pedal show. And when he was on that pedal show and showed that pedal, that's when it all kind of started to go uphill. Him and uh, Rob Chapman, both those guys. But Joey has been just so crucial to to the business. Wow, that's that's incredible. And that's one of those things that you know everyone everyone's trying really hard, right? Everyone's everyone's grinding. But oh, yeah. Sometimes sometimes things just happen, and you got to go. Ah, thank you. I'm glad right. that worked oh, yeah. out. <laughs> you just can't control everything as much as oh, we no, like and, to. And I get a lot of uh, questions on stuff on on Instagram and and whatnot, where people who are wanting to start pedal companies are like asking me for advice, and and the first thing I have to give them is like go to shows <laughs> because you're not going to meet players sitting in your workshop. So that you know, I think that's an important part of it that I fail to do because I'm so busy, but, but it is such an important aspect of the pedal game, especially when you're not like boss or something. Right. Exactly. It's such a, it's one thing I've realized about, about this business and it's not, not so much on the product side of things more as it's just like the just general, it's just good to go to Nam and good to go to these events. Even if you're not going to like 
display. It's just good to go hang out. Go good to go just oh, yeah. see people because you never really know. Kind of like you're what you're talking about right now. Like a lot of it's going to be quote unquote a waste of time, right? Mm-hmm. But there's that two to three percent of time that changes everything. Oh yeah, everything. And it's cr- and it's just like and it's it's not it's not like a it's not like a bro system or some weird sort of closed off thing. It's just like people need to know you're cool and not right. some sort of creep. Uh, conversely, oh, yeah. there's some people that show up to these shows and it's like, that guy's a creep. Watch out for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, oh, man, it's such a crapshoot. Uh, any any big event, you never know what you're going to like walk into. But, you know, Nam's funny. I've had a lot of conversations after this show, especially about, like, am I going to do it again? Like, is it worth it? And it's like, there's definitely a FOMO thing that has to go along with Nam. And I think... Anyone that's ever gone and has access to go feels that like, oh, it's happening. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to worry about it. And then it gets closer and you're like, no, I got to go. I'm not going to see everybody if I don't go. Um, But I feel like the most important thing about Nam at this point in time is the hang and like just becoming friendly and, and, and getting to know people is almost just as important, if not more important than having a booth to show off product. I I asked my dad about this when I was a kid, uh, not a kid, like a, an older teenager, um, and 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 I've always found that it's it's sort of rung true for me, and it and it was, I asked him. I said it seems like it's almost important to just be a nice guy as it is to be really good at your job as far as staying employed goes. Because I was the place I was at was like laying off people because it was, mm-hmm. you know, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Oh yeah, yeah, and and. And I noticed that all of the people that were getting let go first were the biggest were also the biggest jerks. Right. And it was like, I like I'm not necessarily any better at my job than that guy. And he like we have the same seniority and everything. And it's like, I think I just got I think I just kept my job because I'm nicer than him. Like, it was oh, like, yeah, it was like he's not any I'm not any better at my job. You know, we're like basically equal, except I feel like I'm nicer. And dad was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should just be nice to everyone like all the time. Like, oh yeah, Yeah. good point. Good point. (laughs) That that is sometimes really hard to do. Yes. Uh, uh, Especially at NAMM, like, oh my gosh, any big guitar event. um, It's it's just like within the first four or five hours, I'm completely burnt. Um, But you have to put on a smiling face and be nice. And not that I don't want to, but it's like, it is really hard to like constantly be focused and engaging and like positive when like doing that is, is especially in that environment is so exhausting. Yeah. It's, it's also like it works with my wiring. Like I'm a people person. I like seeing Mm -hmm. people, but other people I know it just totally, and I get fried. Like I am so fried by the end of it. I can't imagine what somebody who's hardcore introverted would feel like walking into that situation. Oh yeah. And I, I'm pretty introverted. Like I I may not seem like it. uh, And I'm definitely a lot more extroverted than I used to be, but, but it's, it's weird. Like being in this community has, has brought me out of my shell a lot, but I would consider myself a rather introverted person. Um, So uh, yeah, like sometimes the big shows are, are just hard. They're harder for, for people like me to just like really hang in there. (laughs) Has the type of community that this is, been helpful for you as far as trying to i mean i don't think you people necessarily need to shed their introverted nature if that's their nature but do you feel like it's been helpful for you with your personality and your business and so forth oh yeah i feel like uh i mean a lot of this came from from my wife like she she and i do everything together the pedal thing like she we have we have a one-year-old um she stays at home she helps me but she watches him but she was like really crucial into saying hey you, you're good at this pedal thing and you're a good guitar player and like you could sell these and you can make this happen. So she was like a big push to do that. And she was also a big push to get me out of my shell. But finally having a group of people that I feel like I can connect with so far as like we all have a common interest in guitar and gear and tone uh, has definitely allowed me to to be publicly more of the person I am privately. And, and that's really good and liberating in a lot of ways. Um, for sure. And, and I feel like the guitar community 
is is a pretty good positive place for the most part. And you know, there are very few people I have ever met being in this industry, either in the retail side or in this manufacturing side, that I like wouldn't want to spend any amount of time with. Yeah, it's very uncommon. I mean, that's it's almost so such a trope that people are probably tired of hearing about it, but it it is true. At the end of the day, this this is not the industry you go into to uh, just rake in the cash, but it is the industry to go into if you want to be around cool people like all the time. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you got to take the good with the bad. That also means that a lot of other people are trying to get into it and therefore competition stiff and uh, all that. But you're right. It is, it comes down to just such a rad community of people. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel really lucky to be in Nashville and be around guys like, you know, Grant from big year and Matt hoops from 1981 and Aaron from a wall pedals. Like there's a really cool community here in Nashville of pedal builders, which is, it's pretty neat. And I, I enjoy that a lot. Nashville is interesting too. I that's it's like Nashville, like Portland where I live, Nashville and New York. It's like I feel like I know so many more people in those places than I ever imagined I would. I I went to Nashville the year prior uh, to this summer nam, and I was so busy the whole time. Like I was like, well, I got I got to go over here and see this guy. I got to go over here and see this right. guy. It was like I was like, you know, so many people here. Like you know, I do. This is this is kind of weird. It's like a magnet. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and, and I think we're going to see more stuff kind of move this way too. I mean, we already have, you know, Dennis Fano and Novo guitars are now here. And so, we're, and like, there's other guitar people, I think that are going to start to move this direction too. And like, I don't know, I think it's, it's going to become like one of the spots uh, in the next few years for the, the gear community. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, who's all down there now? So let's just take a tally, see if we can. I think it's already become a spot. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, all the people you just mentioned, uh, Scott from Stringjoy, his shop's there. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, I mean, let's not just glaze over the fact that like Gibson's still in town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, exact Tone. Uh-huh. Third Power. Uh, uh, third else? Power. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, Kevin Shaw, Shaw amps. They're just uh, they're they're not really in Nashville, but they're just a few miles out. Uh, Paul Cochran. Uh, oh, I forget Paul Cochran's there. That's he, right. He's in, well, he's in Murfreesboro, but still, you know, it's like forty five you know minutes away. Like I feel like that's still, you know, sometimes it could take forty five minutes just to get across town. So I feel like if you're like 30, 40 minutes out, like it's not you're still kind of in the in the hub. <laughs> I think I think so. That's how I feel too. I'm not technically in Portland. I'm like 30 minutes away, but I still feel right. like I'm in Portland. So whatever. Right. Uh, let's see who else. Oh, Kevin Equits. Kevin Equits moved there from California mm-hmm. recently. So you're right. It's starting to. It's starting to. I don't know. I would say it's past starting to. It's really drawn yeah. a crowd over there. Oh yeah, yeah, and and as far as like guitar builders, I can't really think of a whole lot. But there, I know there's a ton, and it's it's really like. Sometimes there's so much information in your head, like you just can't even process it when you're trying to actually think oh, yeah. about something. There's going to be like 30 different guitar people that we are like, oh, yeah, and probably get, yeah, I'll get emails. angry emails. <laughs> you forgot me. You forgot me, yeah. Zach. How dare you? Mm-hmm. So what was your first? Did you have like a tone moment? I had a tone moment growing up where it was like I, I plugged into a particular rig and I knew that what I had was not going to cut the mustard. Did you have a defining kind of like, oh, what's this? Yeah, I think so. Um, I remember the moment I understood like why my guitar had a tone knob and and things like that. Um, I was probably 19 or 20 or maybe I might have been a little bit older, but I would drive up to Guitar Center um, fairly often. And I plugged in, I came, I came to Guitar Center and in the Nashville Guitar Center, they used to have like this really tiny room where all the vintage and like really nice stuff was. Uh-huh. And I went into that room and they had a custom shop Strat and I was like, that's cool. And they had like a, an early 60s uh, Fawn Vox AC30. And like one of the white ones, you know. And I'd never played like a real Vox. And so I plugged into that and... I suddenly understood more of like 
why people use their volume and tone that controls on their guitar. I, I felt, I finally felt that interaction between the guitar and the amp and like that kind of blew my mind. And then it happened again a little bit later when I played a 59 reissue Les Paul into a real Marshall blues breaker. Ooh. And like, that was like, it, 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 it changed my whole approach on guitar and those sort of things. Like there's no reverb, there's no nothing. There's just the guitar and volume and you have to make it work. And that those instances really changed my whole approach on guitar uh, and, and tone in general. And, and those things have continued to happen because I used to work at Carter vintage guitars, uh, you know, in Nashville. So I, I had a lot of those like, kind of profound aha moments like this is how it's supposed to sound sort of things. And that was like, those were the first two times where it really blew my mind. How, how does anyone work at Carter's and not just become like an indentured servant somehow? Just be like, well, just put <laughs> this on my tab. I guess I got to work this one off too. Well, you know, the, the stuff is so expensive that it's hard to even like, you know, all the stuff I would really, really, really want would be so expensive that I'd never be able to <laughs> pay it off uh so that's yeah, my point okay. that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> well yeah i mean well because they would never do that they would never be like we're gonna take an iou for this real 59 less paul for me you know <laughs> not even for a guy like you come on yeah no, i'm pretty I, I did remake their website so you know we'll see but <laughs> see that's what i'm saying you got some pole you got pedals oh, with man. zeus on it like come that's on. right I do feel really lucky because now I've, I'm friends with with Walter and Christy, of course, because I work there and, and stuff. And like, if I come in and I want to see anything, I just they just let me go get it. So if like there's something behind the counter, I just walk back there and grab it, which is probably not a good thing because I don't technically work there. So, you know, if someone was asking me questions about, you know, inventory or something, I'd be like, oh, I don't work here. But that, but they just saw me like go get the hundred thousand dollar guitar <laughs> behind the counter. Does that mean I can just go get the hundred thousand right. dollar guitar? Is that what that means? That's well, fine. that guy went back there. I'm gonna just go back there. I, it it is kind of weird when you um when you have like a relationship with a, a store that way. I mm-hmm. I'm not quite there like the to the level of former employee, but we've got a store called Old Town here in Portland, and I like very much. I don't feel I could ever just walk in and grab a hundred thousand dollar guitar, but an eight thousand dollar one. I feel pretty comfortable comfortable doing so. And they're, they're all super cool there too. And so I've, I've definitely been asked where things were and just kind of pretended like I was an employee because it was easier than explaining that I didn't work there. I'm like, I'll just show you where the tube screamer is. It's right over here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, like working at Carter, um, cause that was a big part of my life. And part of like, it kind of, I was working there in like 2015 to 2017. So it was right when the pedals were going too. And so I was having this like tonal revolution. Like, you know, I was finally getting to hear all the guitars and the amps and the pedals that I'd always dreamt of and, and stuff. And it, it kind of blew my mind, all the stuff I got to experience, but it, it, it jaded me in a way because now when I go in there and, and I grab something, I'm like, oh, this isn't too bad. This is only a $7,500 guitar. That's not that big a deal, you know? But to anybody else, they'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's so weird, though. Like, <clears throat> because you got exposed... For me, like, personally, the more, like, really crazy things like that that I've been exposed to, the more I have been like, okay. I, I used to drool every, over every 50s Gibson that I ever saw, right? They were, right. They were oh, all yeah. amazing. But now that I've played a handful of them, it's like, oh, they're not all amazing. You almost oh, become no. a little bit of a, a curmudgeon in some ways. You do, yeah. And and it's funny, like I get um I, I, I try to be an open book on Instagram and I do my live streams, my Q and A's, and people ask me a lot of questions about things and like uh, I get a lot of questions about neck shapes and like if things are, you know, accurate or whatever, and it's or or if, if all those vintage guitars were great and and it's true. Some of them are really good, but a lot of them were just guitars. And I think that holds true today um, with, with modern guitars being made. But I feel like in those all the fifties, like Fenders and Gibsons, a lot of them are kind of dogs and relatively speaking, I think newer guitars are way more consistent uh, than old guitars were. Oh, I mean, almost without a doubt. And especially if you get into the, the lower end of this, the price spectrum, the lower oh, yeah. end instruments now are, they're barely even in the same category of as lower end instruments back back in the day. 
Oh no. And even when I started playing guitar, which was like in uh, like 99, like an entry level, you could get a Squire, uh, which was okay. But now like the entry level guitars are great. And it's kind of like, it's kind of crazy what the generation coming up now playing guitar, like how much better their tone is, is going to be starting out than it was for me. Oh man. (laughs) And and I don't feel that old, but I've been playing guitar for almost 20 years, which is crazy to say, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's pretty insane. How like, like you buy a boss katana and like a Squire Strat and you're like set for a while now, you know? Oh yeah. You can sound, I mean, those, that setup right there sounds great. It really does. Uh, the katana is i mean if p- people ask me like what budget amp do i get and while i don't own one currently i'm gonna fix that though because it's kind of stupid that i don't have one um it's it's always the katana like it doesn't matter yeah. if you like pedals or you want to mess with the the modeling it has it's just a i don't know how you can beat it for the money oh no i i, I bought one uh because I, I was going to use it for doing like quick and dirty like uh demos because it has the usb recording um and really, for what it was, like recording was 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 hit or miss. Like it sounded okay. I was trying to do something a little bit better than what I think the amp could do. But like as far as a practice, like like around the house or small gig amp, I would totally be happy if like I showed up to a gig and they're like, "We got you a katana." I'd be like, "Cool, I'm that's fine." Yeah, I can make that work one hundred percent. Yeah, it's great. So so that that aside, what. It, you know, you kind of you did describe the moment at, at Carter's with the the fifty nine Les Paul and everything. Have did you ever get a chance to plug into an actual Dumble? I know a few of those have oh, yeah. uh, went through. So tell me about that. I've never gotten gotten to do that. Yeah, I, I feel pretty lucky because I have some friends that have owned a few, and then of course Carter's had quite a few. So I've played I don't know eight or nine real Dumbles, um, and some of them are fantastic to the point of where you really go, how could I, how could I afford this amp? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. But, but a lot of them, because they were so tuned to a player because, you know, Howard Alexander, whatever name he he chose to go by um, was, was really fine tuning it to a player. And you can totally get that when you play like a real Dumble. Cause some of them you'll, you'll plug into and it's like, there's no connection. It feels like you're on a different planet with your instrument. And then you plug into another one and they could both be like an ODS or something They could be the same amp. And the next one just immediately clicks with you as a player and your fingers. And it's, it's pretty crazy to say that an amp that's as expensive as those amps are, are not going to be for you. Cause you think if it's that much, it better be for you, but yeah, it, yes, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's an, it's an interesting experience because, you know, for my money, if I was wanting to get that sound, I would probably go to rock because they're consistent and they're all like really good. But you know, the, the Dumble thing is a thing, but like I said, you've got to find the one that matches to you and you may never even see more than, one or two in your life unless you're really lucky yeah i've i've never even come across one in in this neck of the woods there's there's been a few pop up at uh in seattle if it, i think emerald city but guitars. In, emerald city yeah, yeah yeah but in portland i man uh the dumble pickings are are scarce down here otherwise i would have I, I just want to plug in i just want to experience it i'm not going to kid the store into thinking that i have any any means or interest to acquire the amp, but uh, I super want to just be able to say I plugged into one more than yeah. It, they're they're unique. Uh, I, I personally, you know, in the in the in the halls of like sought after amps, the, I like train wrecks a little bit more, um, and they're like half or a little less than half the cost of a dumble. So you know, oh, affordable, still no, yeah. <laughs> nothing to sneeze at. But like train wrecks are so cool, and and like. I actually really prefer a train wreck to a Dumble style amp, but like next time you're in, Na- you're in Nashville, man, just hit me up and I'll, uh, I'll see, I'll make some calls. Maybe we can find a Dumble for you to play. I'm, I'm planning on coming back next year uh, and hopefully Perfect. a little more, hopefully with a little more wiggle time rather than just show time the whole time. So we'll, we'll see how oh, that yeah. comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. 
Can you elaborate though? A l- honestly, uh, gotta I gotta show my ignorance here. I know I only know the legend of Trainwreck. I don't actually mm. know anything about the Amps at all, which is a, probably a crime for somebody like me. But it mm-hmm. it is what it is. Can you enlighten? Well, sure. Yeah. So Trainwrecks were um, the brainchild of Ken Fisher, and uh, who passed away a few years ago. Um, but he 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 kind of took like the best of Vox and some other uh, British style circuits and made them into these straightforward, raw, loud amplifiers that are just they're kind of the same thing as a Dumble. You know, if like you ever plug into any of those really, really, really next level amps, and that goes for like Two Rock and all those really high end stuff too. They're like they're so honest. You know, like there's nothing to hide behind. It's just you and the guitar. Um, and train wrecks are kind of like that, but they just have this musicality and these harmonics that really jump out of, out of the amps. Most of them are pretty hairy. They got a lot of gain. Um, they're rather bright, but when you ever have the opportunity to turn it up, because just like a Dumble, a train wreck is made to be played loud, like a hundred watt Marshall on one, you don't get it. But when you put it on eight, you'll understand why people like those amps. And it's the same thing. So a train wrecks are usually Vox ish based with just really straight forward tones, volume, treble bass presence. And it's just all about the gain and connection with your guitar and you, um, there's no master volume. There's no nothing. It's just go. And they're really, they're beautiful. They're in these, uh, usually like a flame maple cabinet and stuff. And, and they're just, they're just really cool, rare uh, amplifiers. They are really pretty. I do know that. Yeah, they've always been been really attractive. Do you know about the time frame he started making these in? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I think you know. I think he kind of started some in the 80s uh, and throughout the 90s for sure. Uh, but I think he passed away in the early mid 2000s. So um, you know, he he didn't make a whole lot of amps. But uh, I'm, I'm not totally sure about the history of the train wrecks as far as the timeline, but I think most of them, that they were like, really came into like, like commonplace in like the mid to late 90s. I think you started seeing them, the players like Billy Gibbons and those kind of guys would, would use them every now and again, but they're, they're, they're really cool. And, you know, guys like Brad Paisley have obviously used them. And of course, Dr. Z makes the Z-Rec, which was designed with Ken. So that sort of thing. So a lot of people kind of connect it with a country tone, but there's so much more than that. Uh, that's very interesting. Well, yeah, we'll have to add that to the list, too, when I come down. Sure. sure. Surely, there's, I, I, surely there's. I know where I know where some are. <laughs> you, can, you can sniff them out like a. Yeah, yeah. A rare tube amp bloodhound. You can just that's right. Yeah, like I have a I have a, a, a an app on my phone. I can point it in the direction. Maybe in that case, I actually need you to come to Portland, and then we can find uh-huh. the one or two that exists in the Portland metro area. Oh surely, man, surely there are some. Surely, I. It's funny. Like I tell my my grandfather all the time because he's he's in his mid nineties, and like I say, you know, if anyone at church or anyone you know ever says like I have this old Fender or I have this old Gibson or Martin guitar or anything like that. Just buy it and then let me know what it was after you buy it and I'll buy it from you. <laughs> because I think those things, there's still those things out there like in closets and, you know, in the back room somewhere, you're going to find like all that kind of stuff. I think it, it definitely still happens. Uh, oh, yeah. My my junior was that way. I've told that story a million times, but my grandpa didn't know what he had. He just... Mm-hmm. He saw it on Antiques Roadshow and he looked over at my grandma and said, I have one of those in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, you do? And yeah, he brought out this 55 Les Paul Jr. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. So it's like it it does happen. I mean, the the crazy thing with that one was like he really didn't know because he, he was a guitar player, but only just just enough to say he was a guitar player. He was really a, more of a piano player. Mm-hmm. And. And he was he he was talking about this guitar with a friend of my dad's who was really into vintage guitars, and he's like, "Yeah, the only thing about it is the finish is all cracked and and split." And he's like, "So I'm thinking maybe I should re it." And is just like, "No, right. don't do it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that oh, ne- that that never happened, but uh, it was a thought that crossed his mind, and and I just think I think sometimes like how close it it came to like him 
refinishing it. Because if you would have took it, taken oh, it man. to somewhere that that didn't know, or it's like just hit, you know somebody that was good at finishing cabinets or something, it'd been like, yeah, sure. You know, oh. a, a guitar guy would never have done that. But well, I mean, you'd be shocked how many uh, guitars I've seen that were just yeah, just brush painted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like it's for a lot of people, they're just used guitars. You know, it's like not that big a deal. <laughs> well, that's all this was to him. He bought it in the early 60s from somebody, you know, and it just mm-hmm. was a thing that he had. It wasn't a big yeah. deal at all. It was just a guitar that was in the closet. Yeah. It's, oh, man. It, it's crazy. <laughs> so crazy. I mean, it's crazy the things that we assign value to, right? Like, it's not like he didn't grow up with rock and roll and music and play music the whole time. He just didn't pay any attention to the vintage guitar market. Why would he? Right. <laughs> like, well, I mean, that's, that's a huge mm-hmm. a thing. And like, you still see guitars come out of the, you know, come out of closets and from underneath beds that, that were just somebody's guitar. I mean, like at Carter, um, we had the very first sunburst Les Paul ever come into the shop and not, not wow. the one that slash says is the first burst. Cause slash owns technically the second one. But the very first one that ever had a sunburst finish on it came into the shop and the guy had it. He got it for his birthday in like 58 or 59. I think it was 58. And like he knew it was a rare guitar, but he didn't know it was the first one. That's so insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. And it was in really good shape. It was, it was incredible. Um, But, but yeah, that was, that was quite the moment when anytime and anyone who's ever been in like a high end or vintage guitar store, if you're just standing around and you see someone walk down a ramp or into the room with like an old case, you're like, Ooh, what's in there? You know? <laughs> and I remember seeing him come in and I was like, Ooh, I know that's a Les Paul case. I wonder what's in that case. And then they said, Oh, we got the very first sunburst. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. And what, what is that guitar specifically? You remember the detail? Uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was from 1958. It was from, uh, May of 1958 is when it left CMI, the Chicago Musical Instruments, which was like the conglomerate that distributed Gibson guitars. But what they did, they'd been making gold tops. They weren't really selling. So they decided to make uh, a sunburst and they just took a gold top off the line because even in early 58, you could buy a, a Les Paul because everyone thinks 58 is a sunburst. But like before May of 58, they were still gold tops. Um, they just took one off the line. It had, it didn't have a center seam like most Les Pauls on the top. You know, the top is like matched in the center. Uh, it had a three piece top. So it had three pieces of maple on the top. Um, cause it was intended to be a gold top and they sprayed a cherry sunburst, which they'd, they'd only really done on some mandolins, uh, before that they'd never done like a red sunburst like this. And they gave it to the rep to take to stores to show dealers like, Hey, this is the new model we're going to bring out later this year. And that dealer took it to Memphis. The young man at the time was there with his father looking for a new guitar. The dealer came in with the guitar, had it on a stand and he wanted that one. So his dad bought it for him right then and there. And he played it when he was a kid and then his kids kind of tinkered on it, but it just kind of hung out at the house, but it was, uh, from May of 1958 uh, is when it shipped. It shipped the same day as the one that Slash has, which is a serial number or two after his. Wow. That is, yeah. that, that is bananas. That's such a, yeah. And, and again, like, like why do we care? Because we're nerds. Like who, right, cares? Yeah. <laughs> who cares that it's the first, the first one painted that way. It's not technically any different than the gold one that was right before and after it. But but it, it is. But it is. <laughs> it super is. Oh, <laughs> we, and we know it too. <laughs> but yeah, there, there there's probably it's probably still listed on Carter's website. So if you guys are interested and you've never seen it, like just go to cartervintage.com and type first burst and it should still be up and you can see all the pictures of it. But it was it was really something special. I got to play the guitar a lot and it was um definitely a cool moment to hold the very first one that basically started the 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 finish that became the most desirable guitar electric guitar of all time you know really yeah totally like yeah. That, that's insane that's insane to imagine and and it's 
it, to this guy, it was just it was just a thing that he had. And like, I yeah, wonder he, he didn't know. Oh, I wonder how that would feel. That would be so weird to all of a sudden be like, oh, this is the first sunburst less Paul. Like right. what on what on earth do I have here? That would be mind blowing. That's so crazy. I think he saw dollar signs ringing around his head. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he did. I'm sure. He, yeah, I'm sure he did. Uh, it, it'd be like, well, I mean, that's the other thing. Like if it's if it's not that important to you. Right. Uh, you, it's like, well, might as well pay for the house. Like, right. why not? Or, so, you know, something. Um, yeah, it was priced at 650000 uh, okay. It didn't sell for that much, but it's it, it sold for a lot. <laughs> It'll pay for my house. Uh, right. Yeah, hey. <laughs> then, then some. Uh, so, and probably a lot of people listening to it. Unless you live in New York mm-hmm. City and think, I think you're just out of luck then. But Right. Buys you a park bench. Yeah. Got a toothpick. <laughs> So uh, let's see. There was something that popped in my head while you were talking about that. Oh yes, this is a this is a question I want to start throwing out to pedal builders when it makes sense. What in your mind is the to you? You know, not necessarily for the industry at large. What is the most important like pedal design that we're familiar with these days? Like the most important circuit to have ever come out, sort of thing. Yeah, just for you. Like maybe you're the most important circuit to you is probably the best oh. way to frame that. Uh definitely the boss OD one because oh. okay. that became the tube screamer. And like that basically set the stage for every op amp based overdrive that we know and love today, which is most of them. Yes. Uh, you know, most overdrives have an op amp chip in there. Um, that, that was it, man. And like that, the OD one became the 808 became the SD one and has become since then so many other things. And I think from a guitar player standpoint, like, yeah, fuzz is cool. Booster cool, whatever. But up until that point, no one had something that sounded like a pushed amp at a reasonable volume. And from that point on, players have been able to get that sort of tone and have so much more of a variety of sounds. And so for me, the OD one is one of the most, if not the most important guitar pedal to have ever come out and design wise. And I feel like that, that does a one, two punch of answering my next question, which was going to be, which maybe not though you might, you might pull a fast one on me. Would that also Uh, be your favorite boss pedal? Oh, that, 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 uh, probably my favorite boss pedal you know, it's funny. I don't. Uh, I don't think I own any Boss pedals. <laughs> I had an OD one well, and I sold it. But um, I think if I had to pick a Boss pedal, if like if you laid them all out and said you could have one, that would probably be the one I'd grab an OD one or an SD one, but probably an OD one. Probably an OD one. That's a solid pull. Yeah, solid choice. Yeah. So before we get into the final question, uh, that whole line of of conversation did did remind me of something that you had a part in. Uh, and it specifically relates to the tube screamer. So our mutual friend mm. who we, who we talked about in this episode, Grant Wilson from big ear. Yeah. He, he, he was in a position to make a pedal for basically, well, essentially for Willie Nelson and his little fest, his little quote unquote festival <laughs> he had going on. And uh-huh. you had, you had a big hand in that. Grant didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't tell me all the details, but he, he, like me, is not a traditional Tube Screamer fan. However, right. he tells me that you managed to make that pedal sound incredible. Can you talk, <laughs> talk a little bit about that and what, what went into that? Sure. So, uh, Grant, we, we talk all the time. We've already talked on the phone today. Uh, like We talk all the time. And he said... Like, you know, I'm trying to do this thing with Luck Revival. We talked about doing a pedal. I thought about doing something limited. And I was like, man, you should do something just for the show. And I was like, what about just a simple little overdrive that's different from what you make? And, and I said, a Tube Screamer or something thereof would be cool. And he's like, I don't like those. And so I took a pedal that I've made called the Herculean, uh, which is the new one. The most current one is called the V2. So it's a four knob uh, overdrive. It's got volume gain bass and clarity which is a a modified tone circuit to his house and it is at its core an 808 with a lot of stuff taken out and some other things thrown in 
And I took it to his house and he's like, this isn't an 808. I'm like, well, it's not now, but it like kind of started in a way based around that circuit. And he really dug it. And so I basically took the base control out and redid that circuit in a really straightforward way, tuned to Grant's uh, specifications and, and personal tastes and uh, came up with a circuit that sound really good, but at its core, it's a, it's a bufferless tube screamer. And for a lot of people taking those buffers out kind of widens the tonal spectrum that these pedals have. So they, um, I don't know, they just have like more harmonic richness. They don't sound as kind of closed off and nasally. They just sound a lot. I, I don't know. It's like sometimes a tube screamer sounds like a small, it's like only covering like so many frequencies. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah, and this sounds, it's just way more open and big sounding. And so that's really what I did. And it wasn't anything super complicated. And I wouldn't say that it was, but uh, he was really happy with it. And I was just happy to be able to help him out and and have my name attached to something really cool like that. But, you know, like, it's funny in the pedal community, a lot of people do a lot of things just because we just want to help a buddy out. And like, I, I if like Grant hadn't mentioned me for that whole project, i would have been fine but you know it's just fun to do those kind of things with your buddies it, yeah it's a it's a blast that's i mean that's that is not to you know just gloat on this industry again but that really is like one of the best parts about it is just everybody yeah. everybody being willing to help each other out and further the you know further the same goal of every, everybody having that good good tone that's just what yeah that's what everybody needs right yeah did you get to play the luck drive no, I didn't because I wasn't <laughs> there. I didn't get to play it. Yeah, I, I told him he should like do a small run of them and like maybe change the name or something. But um, but yeah, he's he's got his hands in many many pots right now. Yeah, he's busy. He's a busy boy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Zach, we're we're getting down to the the last couple of minutes here, and and we haven't really broke it down. We haven't really got into the details, the nitty gritty that the people want to know. Yeah, I think I've just talked about guitars the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not what we're supposed to talk about on this podcast. Ah, I'm sorry. Way too on topic for my taste. Good grief. <laughs> Zach, what kind of pizza do you like? You know, I... Uh, growing up, my, my, my friends always said I don't like flavor. So... We're not going to get I, along very well then, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've 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 grown up a lot since since then, but I uh, I I'm a big fan of just like a really good pepperoni pizza, but you know just anything with a lot of meat. I I, I don't have time for vegetable uh, vegetables. I can't even say it. <laughs> I, don't have time. I can't even say them. I don't have time. I can't, for can't even pronounce the word uh, <laughs> vegetables on my pizza. So I, I like a lot of meat, but mainly just like a really good pepperoni pizza just puts me in a good headspace. You know what I'm saying? I think everybody can relate to that. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's a little boring and safe, but that's I don't. Hey, that's me. It's 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 a little bit on the safe side, but you know what? I I've I've been to some really really good pizza places where I I would go for like the heavy meat slices, which is what that's people who know me. I'm a I'm a meathead. I love it. Mm-hmm. But there the the cheese slice ended up being the better overall slice just because it was more balanced. It just worked better. So, mm-hmm, you, know, you know, sometimes a good I, pep, pep slice is all you need. That's right. And it's funny, like, uh, but <laughs> I have this theory about hamburgers. So not to, uh, this is not going to be a very long tangent, but. No, like, you, no, you have my, my undivided <laughs> attention right now. I'm super into this. When it comes to, to let's say cheeseburgers, really, when it comes to a cheeseburger, the way to really tell how good a cheeseburger is, is to have a bun the burger and cheese and and nothing else. If that cannot stand on its own, then no matter of toppings is ever going to save it. So that's, uh, that's, I mean, I, I'll totally eat a cheeseburger with everything on it, but when I get cheeseburgers, I'm usually just like, if I'm trying it at a new place, give it to me plain because I want to see how good this is. Okay. Well, I have to push back on this a little bit because first of all, <laughs> first of all, when you say plain, I'm going to need more details. You're talking plain, plain, like talking plain? just meat and cheese no no condiments of any kind no, no. you got to taste the meat and the cheese and the bun and if it can't stand on that then then it cannot stand 
that burger has no leg to stand on. Mm, I got to disagree with you. See, there's a problem here. Podcast you, deleted. You can't, you can't. Well, maybe on your end, I've got these files, baby. This, this is, this is going out. I'm the only one who can delete this now. Uh, that or internet gremlins, internet gremlins have deleted, deleted episodes on me before. Anyway, uh, see the thing, I can't do that. I can't go that far because that's, that's a recipe. Like you can have the juiciest, most best met, just the greatest piece of meat in history. But you put it on a bun, the bun is instantly soaking up some of those juices. So the the bun's gonna be the the bun's gonna be too dry, is what I'm saying. Mm-mm. You won't be able to get an accurate picture of what the true burger experience is like because you got to have a little lubrication there of some. Then some the bun variety. is holding it back. The bun is holding it back. You got to it's it's all it's a it's a system. <laughs> Well, I, I know I, I get your theory, but I think there's a flaw in the theory is what I'm saying. There's there's a little more there because you can't you can't just be eating a plain burger like nobody eats a burger that way. No, nope, nobody Man, chooses to eat I a thought, burger that way. I thought we were becoming friends and now <laughs> you can't eat a plain burger, man. You just can't do it. You got to have you got to have something on there. And and everybody's condiment taste is going to be a little bit different. But I'm saying I would say as close as you can get to that is you got to have. You got to have a very light dusting. No, dusting's not a good term because it's because it's a sauce. <laughs> but you have a very light smear of of mayonnaise on there, just like very light. Not not you don't go glue you know globbing it on there like a like an animal. That's just gross. Mm-hmm. You just put a nice light coat on there, and then and then I think I could get on with your theory. But other okay, than that, well. uh, yeah, other than that, yeah, I can't be dry bun in it. That's no good. <laughs> okay, well, hey. Uh... I'll give I'll give you a little mayonnaise. You can have that, or a little ketchup, or something mustard. That now to back up your theory, though. One of my very favorite burgers in town has it has, it's basically the meat and cheese, uh, and a really nice pub bun, a little mm-hmm. a little a little bit of uh, of greens. I can't remember the variety, so I won't butcher it. And then just a very light coat of bacon jam, and it's one of oh, the best, best burgers I've ever had in my life. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Zach, where can people find you? You can find me at mythospedals.com or at mythospedals on Instagram or the various social medias. All right. You have anything else you'd like to uh, share with the audience before we, we knock this thing out of the park? I hope I don't offend anybody with my uh, desire to eat a hamburger or cheeseburger plain. Um, if you judge me any less a, because of that, I am right um, now. Yes, a little bit. Then I think uh, I don't know. We just need to focus on guitars, and the world will be a better place. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm also going to get you off this plain burger thing at some point. This is just I, <laughs> I can like- eat stuff on a burger. It's just okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I I get it. I get it. I get it. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This was a really good time. I, I enjoyed yeah. our chat, and I look forward to coming in and hanging out and playing doubles with you. Yeah, we'll we'll find some doubles and train wrecks and bursts and pre CBS fenders, and we'll make it happen. Oh, please! Now we're talking. And if you come up here, mm-hmm. I'll I'll take you around and get you some non plain burgers. Does that sound good? Okay, that sounds that sounds great. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Uh, ooh, so for Zach, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you go. There's another one in the can. I'm about to head over to the Patreon section and upload a fresh episode for all of those folks and probably some of you who are listening to this right now. So if that's something that you like, which is more conversations like this, pedal demos, all kinds of just additional audio content that is all coming straight to your ears, should you let it. And what's it cost, you might ask? All it is, it's $5 a month. So you get hours of extra stuff for just $5 a month if that is your jam. If not, I get it. No worries. We'll we'll still be here with the normal podcast every week just for you. So patreon.com slash tone mob if that's your cup of tea. And if it is, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And un- I don't know. Without further ado, I guess I'll just talk to you next week, huh? All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, 
that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.